Jenny, it's recall of the month time. I have one word for you. Woohoo! Me, amigo. Plastics. Plastics. That's it. That's what's going to be on, featured on today's show. Awesome. Stay tuned. Welcome to Breaking Bad News, Apron Food PR's podcast about food brands, recalls, withdrawals, alerts and issues, and the way they're treated in the press and on social media. Your hosts are Jenny Gregorsik, managing partner of Apron Food PR, and Jeff Hahn, author, speaker, facilitator, and Apron's head of reputation strategy. Welcome to this edition of Breaking Bad News. I'm Jeff Hahn. With me, as always, my amazing colleague, Jenny Gregorsik. Jenny, Jenny, how are you? Hello, Jeff. Great to see you. You're doing well. You're feeling fine. Feeling great. How about you? I'm feeling terrific. And why is that? Uh, Because it's recall of the month Mm -hmm. time. And that means we're going to be looking back on June and talking about your favorite subject. Let's do it. You know I love a good recall. Well, that's why this is called the Recall of the Month podcast. So, oh, uh, see, mm-hmm. this is uh, this is called that's called branding. That me. that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'm really glad we covered that, especially if anyone listening was confused about what this what this podcast was about. Now you know. It's because we cover such a huge range of topics. That's right. Enormous, but you know, um, mostly we talk about recalls that hit the press mm-hmm. and we get a little bit of a sense of how the press covers those there's usually some unique angles and we've got some interesting ideas to talk about today you were um you actually had a recall that you were working on it was a dairy related recall yep yep a lot of fun i'm happy to say that we were able to do some good work and revol- resolve the situation pretty darn quickly is that um, when you think about your primary gauge of success is quickness, resolving quickly, really the one way that you um, you would say that's the most important thing for us to achieve in a in a recall communication uh, activities. Get a client out of the press as fast as possible. Is that how you talk about it? That's a good question. I think it's definitely one indicator of success for sure. Um, you know, of course, the shorter the amount of time that the bad news is in the news cycle, the better. Um, but we look at other things like, um, you know, were we able to limit reputation damage overall? Um, were we able to reduce customer blowback and really maintain that consumer trust? Um, and really getting a brand back to normal sooner. I think for a lot of our clients, they just want they want to get back to normal as, as quick as they can. So that's a, Yeah, that's a feeling. Yeah, exactly. And that reminds me, Jeff, I think the idea of normalcy is pretty key to your to the um, model that you've been working on, right? Oh, yeah. Um, The reputation dissonance model. Mm -hmm. Now, I was looking on the website the other day and noticed that somebody downloaded it. Uh, Now I know it was you. It was me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Just one. Uh Oh. (laughs) Well, what you're referring to in the reputation dissonance model is that blue line. It runs diagonal, pardon me, it runs horizontal across the model. Uh, from left to right, and that is the line of normal, the, the line of normalcy, the line of normality. And when we come off of that line, the um, that's what feels like dissonance when we're off of our line of normalcy. It, 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 as innocuous as it looks, it's actually um, really complicated because when we deviate from a line of normal, normalcy as a brand, 
we, we believe in one thing, but we're actually behaving in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that is intentional or unintentional, correcting ourselves back to that normal line, that's the whole theory behind the reputation dissonance model. And that's a really uncomfortable place for brands to be, is in that that place where they're saying one thing and, and feeling another. Their brand has been built in one way, and then uh, they're out of balance. So Yeah, and you really feel it. You can, mm-hmm. you can feel at those moments of dissonance, man, this is not good for our reputation. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the, there's, that's how it all laces together. Mm-hmm. Are there specific types of criteria that you look at when you're evaluating a client in crisis through this model? Well, I always think about crises. Um, I have my own definition of them, but I think there's three elements to it that helps a client evaluate their situation. First of all, a crisis is sudden. Mm -hmm. That's a temporal measurement. Second, it's abnormal. It's unexpected, meaning um, you're not, it's not meeting the socially expected behaviors and norms that we've mm-hmm. come to believe. So brands have this, I don't know, I guess I would call it sort of a narrative arc. And if they're off their arc, they're in unexpected territory. Typically negative. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's sudden. It is not expected, not what is expected. And uh, then third, uh, it's only a crisis if it's public. And um, you can't hide it. Those three really create a reputation challenge for a brand. If one of those three are missing, typically we'd recategorize them as an issue, mm-hmm. sort of slow moving, um, might break into the press, might not. Those, there's all these variables that have to be considered and, and assumed worst case scenario wise, mm-hmm. but may not come true. Sure, like a, an internal issue that is contained, but if it wasn't contained, would be a really big issue for a brand. Yeah, exactly. Think about, for example, um, an accounting uh, problem mm-hmm. where you've got a disconnect from an accounting standpoint. Big issue for the company, not necessarily a public-facing crisis. Exactly. Now, right. if you're a public company, yeah. that could become a problem. Like, Different story. Um, we were talking about it not too long ago. Um, oh, it's AB InBev, mm-hmm. right? The Budweiser? Yep. Uh, from, well, Budweiser and a whole bunch of others, they've got something north of like $100 billion in debt. Mm -hmm. So they're starting to shed uh, brands in particular countries. I think I read that they sold off their Budweiser brand in Australia Mm -hmm. to a different company. And so uh, a financial, what what was an internal thing can turn into an external thing if you're a public company much easier because it's right in the SEC filings. Yep, yep, that makes sense. I think the reputation dissonance model that you're talking about is really interesting, and I think I think what I'm hearing you say is that deviation from this blue, the standard blue line that we're talking about, yep. is really a break from the normal operations of the business. So you might say that it's more than a standard deviation of difference. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, if it's you're thinking about it from a statistical, almost like a bell curve mm-hmm. uh, model, you're right. It would be. Uh, at least a single deviation, standard deviation from the center, from the norm. Now, inside of that norm, brands swim around. They have good days. They have uh, days that aren't so good. Mm -hmm. And think about that. They might have a new product release that people like. They might have a leadership change that people don't like. 
But those aren't reputation damaging kinds of incidents. They're the typical ebbs and flows of the, any brand that's uh, moving through its journey. Sure, that's a great point. I gotta say, I, I kind of love this. Typically, it's you asking me questions, and today I get to ask you questions, and I'm I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, actually, I was just thinking that you've taken this conversation <laughs> completely off the rails, and I'm just gonna tell our listeners that don't blame me for how crappy this is. Oh, <laughs> I think you're doing a great job. No, because um, really, the um, this part of the conversation does tee up other aspects of what we're going to be talking about further on down the line. And it gives us a chance to think about uh, the reputation dissonance model. But I will say that um, our colleague, Russ Ray, who runs the Predictive Media Network, Mm -hmm. Russ is going to interview me more in depth on the reputation dissonance model in another episode. So, hey, everybody, come back, look at the website, and you'll find these episodes where it's Russ and me um, talking about the innards of that model. Okay, that's that. Jenny, what I was going to do today was actually quiz you. Oh, okay. I the wanna, tables are turning back, I see. That's right. I, <laughs> I want to test your knowledge of not only the recall of the month, but also of scientific subject matter that you should have learned in chemistry class. Oh, gosh. Okay, that's going to take me back just a year or two. Yeah, maybe hmm. like, yeah, a couple of years. Yeah, a couple of years. And then um, we'll talk about how the news has treated this one. So are you ready? Let's do it. All right. I think as soon as we come fa- back from a break, we're going to dive into this. Sounds great. Let's roll. Okay. This episode of Breaking Bad News is sponsored by no one because no brands want to be associated with this topic. And can you blame them? The team from Apron Food PR, however, is proud to step into the vacuum. You can learn more about Apron Food PR's brand protection and promotion work by visiting apronfoodpr.com. Welcome back to the second half of Breaking Bad News. This is our June 2019 Recall of the Month podcast. As always, my co-host and resident recall sensei, Jenny Gorsick is in the studio with me. Jenny, I am going to drop some clues on you to see if you remember, I know you read these things every day, but I wanna see if you remember a pretty significant recall of the month for the month. And we'll talk about this in the form of clues because I wanna see how they interact with driving bad news for a brand. Hmm. Are you ready? Born ready, let's do this. Okay. Here's your first clue to what the this particular recall of the, of, of the month was. Ready? It is 95 tons. Okay. Tell me more. No, no, I'm not going to. That's your clue. You can either guess the recall of the month right now or we'll end this torture for our listeners and you can speculate on the clue if you want to. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me offer some speculation. 95 tons. Okay, that's a metric. Um, it's a, a volume of the recall. Um, so that's, it's hard to say where we're going with this, but um, this could be a really huge recall, 95 tons, or it could be really tiny, depending on what, not tiny, but pretty darn small, depending on what the uh, what the food product is. So yeah, because you don't have any context for 95 tons. Exactly. Yeah. What I will say is 95 tons makes for a great news headline. So I would imagine um, 
whatever this recall is, media are are certainly using that number. We know media love numbers, especially big and scary ones like 95 tons. And it's really, um, it's an interesting side rant I'll talk about. Um, <laughs> it's not really reporters that are to blame for these big, big numbers and these salacious headlines that we see. It's been a big challenge for for some of our clients the last couple of weeks, especially as media get more and more into this um, doom and gloom type of reporting. But you may not know that it's usually not the reporters who write the story who are writing their own headlines. It's separate copy editors who are writing headlines that they optimize then for what's going to perform really well online. So interesting. Don't be mad at the reporter. It's usually somebody totally different writing the headline. Yeah, that's actually true. I've griped out a lot of reporters in my career. And I get the same response. Jeff, I don't write the headlines, and you know that. Yep, exactly. So, But it is a pattern that we have to talk to our clients about. In a, If I had a 95-ton recall, would you recommend that I try to avoid putting a number out there, uh, try to minimize coverage if that's uh, that's someplace head, uh, reporters always go or headline writers always go? Oh, man, I wish that's something that we could do. and this food space, but unfortunately the regulatory requirements require that we disclose volume of a recall. So can't hide from it. So either FDA or USDA, they're going to have that yep. volume listed in the recall alert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. All right. I got a second clue for you. Ready? Ready. This one, okay, you've got 95 tons. Now I want you to add to that hard plastics. Oh, hard plastics. Yeah. Um, you know, Plastics are really everywhere in the food industry. So this may, that could either make this harder than I'm thinking it is or make it easier. It's actually a terrible clue. Well, it's it's not necessarily, but I think it requires us to think about where plastics show up in the industry. So yeah. I just happen to have some notes on that that, I'll, right. that I'll share with you. Okay, yeah, This so is your chemistry class. This is chemistry class, right. Okay, so there's something called the resin identification code or a recycling number on plastic that tells you what the kind of plastic is. And there's lots of different kinds of plastic. Is it in that thing, that little triangle? For some products, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, So first you've got your PET, which is the resin code number one. It's lightweight, semi-rigid. Think about soda bottles. Soda bottles are made out of this. Yeah, PET. Or P-E-T-E. Uh-huh. Yep, exactly. Then you've got HDPE which is what most milk jugs are made of. That's a whole nother kind of plastic. Mm, yeah, it's got a little bit flex to it, but mm-hmm. it's yeah pretty stable. Yep, and then there's PVC, pretty familiar packaging material that's used um, a lot of times for over-the-counter meds in those blister packs. That's largely PVC. Uh, and it's the same chemically speaking, as PVC pipe that you'd find in an irrigation pipe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just in a really super thin. Yep. It's clear clear PVC. And there is, let's see, there's also low-density polyethylene. So industry, uh, or on on the street, we call it LDPE. So if you're talking about it at a cocktail party, just reference it as LDPE. Um, (laughs) It invited to strange parties. (laughs) It is um, a little bit thinner and has some really high heat resilience. So it's really tough, it's really flexible, so it's used in a lot of um, places, applications where heat sealing is important. So think about like your coffee can lids, um, bread bags, six pack soda cans, 
um, the fruit and veggie bags that you use in the grocery store to bag up your produce, those kinds of things. That's LDPE. So if you try to tear at that LDPE, that uh, it's hard to tear it. Yes, exactly. It's t- that tough and f- flexible yeah. notion. Um, then there's PP. That's um, your basic polypropylene number five. That's used in all kinds of food containers like um, yogurt containers. Think about your maple syrup container at home. Yeah. Uh, cream cheese, sour cream, prescription drug bottles. Tons of stuff is made out of polypropylene. Um, Old number five. That's right. And number six is uh, number six plastic, which think about like your plastic cups, bakery bakery and deli trays, uh, fast food containers and lids, hot cups, egg cartons. All of those things are made out of the PS number six. And that uh, like clamshells? Oh, I, oh, it's those clear plastic clamshells, not the styrofoam. Exactly. Ones. Yeah, yeah. That's gotcha. a different material. Okay. And obviously, foam is not plastic. Um, and then there's resin code number seven, which is the other one. Um, and that one is used to make, like, the big five-gallon jugs that we use here at the office for our water coolers, um, citrus juice, ketchup bottles, cups, coffee lids, those thicker clamshell containers. So if it's a really thicker kind of a plastic, that's going to be number seven, not number six. Hmm, okay. So now I feel like Forrest Gump with describing (laughs) and listing off every kind of plastic out there, but... um, You got your fried plastic. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, your bald plastic. So plastic is really prominent in the food industry. We couldn't live without it. Um, But sometimes it does show up in our food products in ways that we don't want it to show up, and that's where we see some recalls. So my guess is that we've got a plastic issue with our with our food recall and it can happen really easily think about plastic ball bearings that are used in production equipment and if they get worn down then bits of the plastic can come off and get into the product and it's it's hard to detect so there's a million different ways plastic can end up in our food supply and it's it's more common than you think yeah we've talked about uh, foreign matter uh, contamination before yeah so plastic rollers on, even on conveyor belts yep those, uh, yeah, they can just, they shed. They do. Mi- micro mm-hmm. shed, in fact. Okay. You've got two clues, 95 tons and yep. hard plastic. Are you ready to make your guess? No, I think I need one more. Okay. I don't need any more of your science class here, so <laughs> I, I will give you one more. And this, I think, has a really interesting connection to the headline making. Ready? Yep. Schools. Oh, okay. Yes. I know, I know where we're going. Am I, can I make a guess now? Sure, you can if you want to, if I, you want to ruin the entire show. Oh, am I going to ruin it if I make my guess now? No, I guess not. You, did you have another clue you wanted I to give me? I do have one more clue. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, I was assuming that you wouldn't be able to put these pieces together, 95 tons, hard plastic in schools. So I will add in for you bonus clue, fritters. Uh-huh. Yep, the one that I was thinking of yeah. I think I think is right. Is it Tyson Foods? Yay. Yes. Okay. All right. You got it. Tyson Foods, you are Jenny's recall of the month. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It was a pretty sizable recall, and I think um, the key focus here is – the school piece of it. That's what gave it away to me. Um, So this was a product that was produced at one plant location and then it was sent to distribution centers in 29 states all the way from California to Connecticut, which is a very common production practice. Mm -hmm. But that's where the school thing makes sense because 
of course, that's a school children are a highly vulnerable population, and um, that really elevated the concerns of this recall. And um, that's how the issue was originally reported to both USDA and Tyson was through their school food service um, customers. So this one um, hit I, actually about a month after Tyson expanded a separate recall. Um, you might remember that had about mm, 12 million pounds of frozen ready-to-eat chicken and chicken strips that um, the product, over concerns that the product may contain some metal. Oh, same kind of issue, shedding. Yep, uh, foreign object issue. Uh, uh-huh. matter, but yeah. to put that into context, 12 million pounds versus 95 tons, big discrepancy there in terms of weight. But I think this one is really important because, again, of that vulnerable population of school children. Right. That's really what I was uh, thinking about when I popped you this quiz, which is it's interesting how the media gravitates to these kinds of recalls where yep. vulnerable populations are really exposed. Yeah. And we see it across food lines, some that are much bigger, much more uh, even national, nationwide recalls don't get nearly as much press. That's right. That's right. And we saw some national media exposure on this recall for that reason. Um, If you didn't get a chance to see it, um, Money Watch on CBS did a pretty significant recall uh, or pretty significant profile on this recall. Um, But really, because no one got sick, I think the coverage was fairly contained just given the size of the recall. Um, I think I counted like 13 national stories on this issue. So not none, um, again, because of that vulnerable population, but I think the relative size of this recall compared to even Tyson's past recall helped contain that coverage some. 13 though, that seems that seems pretty low. I mean, do you think they, um, they dodged a bullet on this? You know, I think um, this was a recall that had a couple components to it. One, it didn't affect a specific geography, so it was really hard for local media to sink their teeth into it. No one got sick, um, so you can't have the headline of local man infected with right. something. Hospitalized, Hosp- 27 people. Exactly, right. exactly. So it was missing that local angle, and again, just the size of it wasn't, wasn't huge. So I'm not too terribly surprised about this one. It's, uh, you would think that those all of the uh, forcing ingredients weren't there to really make it an enormous exactly media exposure. Yep. All right. You might agree that they got a break then. Yep. But they didn't escape. I made them your recall of the month, and you didn't object, so I get the credit for naming them recall of the month this time. Right. That's something that you, you normally do. But I'm the one who had to figure it out. So. <laughs> Let's we'll, we'll share credit on this one. I'm going to ask for a ruling on this from somebody. But in the meantime, we'll have to tell Tyson that they're the recall of the month. Um, you get the job of calling them. Oh, uh, you know, Jeff, I really think that's a, something that you'd enjoy most. I have them on my list anyway, so <laughs> I will give them a ring. All, All right, right. Thanks. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Jeff. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Bad News with Jenny Gregorsik and Jeff Hahn from Apron Food PR. Subscribe and learn more at apronfoodpr.com. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes. It really helps. Breaking Bad News.